All right, what an honor now. So many, this is amazing, all these students. You may be seated now. We appreciate so much uh, the uh, Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College and the wonderful ministry here and how the Lord has blessed you uh, in such a wonderful and amazing way. We're so thankful for your pastor, what a faithful, faithful man of God and how the Lord has used him. So thankful for the amazing staff uh, that the Lord has gathered together, Brother Getch and Brother uh, Rasmussen. We appreciate them so very, very much. What a blessing that they are. So I uh, started to tell people recently, I remember when we started pastoring the church that many years ago, I was always the new kid on the block. I was a young guy at pretty much everything that we did. Uh, and now that's not the case anymore, amen. I've graduated out of that. And so I uh, tell people now, I said that uh, you've got to be pretty old to have pastored a church for 33 years. And so I qualify for that. We're so thankful for all of what the Lord has done. Appreciate our family so very, very much. Let me have my beautiful wife to stand, if you would, Miss Jeannie Lenentine. And so we uh, are having our anniversary here in just a few days. So we're actually taking some time also in San Diego. So we use the opportunity just to get away also. So thankful for our three kids. They're all married and serving the Lord there. Our oldest son, Jeremy, is assistant pastor and just does so much and is such a hard worker, uh, doing a wonderful job. And son, Mark, uh, oversees all of our Christian school and our uh, singles uh, teen ministry. And uh, he's actually preaching a teen conference right now up in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, and, um, and then for our daughter, Anna. Uh, and uh, we're so thankful for her because she just had another baby on Sunday, so five days ago. And so uh, thankful for all of what the Lord's done in the ministry Thankful for our family. Thankful for eight grandsons. It's just awesome. Amen. We don't know what to do with girls, but we have eight grandsons. And so uh, God has been good to us. We rejoice in that so much. We want to um, look in the Word of God now in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, we want to read this and jump into uh, the message here this morning. I pray certainly it will be a blessing for you and just for each of us. Now, as we look into the Word of God. So, as you find that, if you'll stand together, let's read and get started in this, in the text. And so, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and then in verse number 23, the Bible says, And this I do, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. This verse here obviously concludes a thought coming down into it, where Paul had said to the weak, I become as weak, that I might gain the weak. It also is really a transition into the final thoughts of this chapter. And certainly what we'll see in these remaining verses has to do very much with this thing of for the gospel's sake. I appreciate so much your theme to declare the gospel. Uh, we have a theme that we'd launched this year called impact. And one of the parts of that uh, is to uh, be very, very faithful in soul winning and saturation soul winning. And I believe this all in my heart that as we come out of this pandemic on the other side, people are not going to naturally flock back into church. We're going to have to go out after them. We're going to have to go and give them the gospel, love on them, show them the love of Christ, invite them to church, see people saved there and come in or, or, or go after people and then see them come in and hear the word of God and be saved. So I appreciate so much your theme for this next year because I believe that is exactly what the truth or the emphasis needs to be. And so it says to us here in verse number 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. 
I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and I bring it in subjection, subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless and lead now in this time. God, I want to pray that you would just really speak to our hearts for each and every one of us. Help us and lead us now in this time. We pray and would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach a message and preach to our church uh, here just some time ago. And uh, it was, you may be seated, I'm sorry. And it's a great blessing. Uh, it's a great truth. I hope that it'll be a help for us. But it applies really in a sense even more in here because this really is the group or the demographic that we'll speak of. You'll see that in a moment. Uh, but I think that it's something for us to get a hold of. With every generation that we grow up in, there are certain challenges that we have to deal with, some things that we have to overcome in order to draw closer to the Lord and to be able to do the work that God has called us to do. It has been said about the young people, the young adults now uh, in this generation, it's been said that never has a generation so diligently documented themselves accomplishing so little. And what happens is, is that we've come into the social media age. And with the social media age, it seems like that you're not permitted or allowed to do anything significant or minor without recording it, right? And so if you go out and you get a hamburger, an in-out burger, you have to take a picture of it, make some kind of a comment uh, about it, and you have to document everything that you do as if it has some great significance to it. Here I am chilling on my couch. Here I am holding my cat. Here I am throwing my cat out the door. And just all of those things and everything has to be documented because we feel like that it is so very significant. What's happened is, is that it is a swing, if you would, from a post-hippie generation. There was a study then that was done in the Huffington Post that was titled, Could Your Child, listen to this, Could Your Child Have Too Much self-esteem. And they went in and talked about this. We are living then, and, and the young people now have grown up in a self-esteem movement. It's happening in our educational system. It's happening in the public and in so many places. So for those that says that were born, specifically in the study, between 1982 and 2002, that would include most that are here, you've grown up then believing that you can do no wrong. Your parents wanted to be so careful not to be negative and try to, to hurt your psyche and damage you in some way. They didn't want you to turn out bad and be a drug addict or something like that. And they didn't want you to grow up uh, feeling bad about yourself or having negative thoughts about yourself. And so what they wanted to do rather was to encourage you and to try to build up your self-esteem in every way they could. The problem was that the self-esteem was not uh, connected to any kind of an accomplishment per se, but just to tell you what a great person you are. You know, the idea of kind of modern day t-ball, that is everyone's a winner, amen, right? We're not even gonna keep score, we're just everyone's a winner. You participated and you were a winner. I was in Walmart years ago and there was a lady uh, who was there with her son and her son was um, 
just grabbing everything. They were in the checkout line. I don't know if you ever noticed that in Walmart and other stores, uh, when you're standing in the checkout line, they take all the candy bars and all the enticing things, and they bring them right down low, right at eye level for all the children. So he's telling mom, I want this, and he's grabbing the candy bar. She's saying no, and she's putting it back. And he said, I want this, and she's grabbing another candy bar and pulling it out, and no, and put that back. And all the time, she's patting him on the head, and she's saying, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. And he picked up another candy bar, and she said no, and she put it back. He grabbed it back up again, tore it open, bit a big hunk out of it. She took it from his hand, put it back on the shelf. All the time she's saying, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. And I thought, this is crazy. He's not good. He's a little devil. Someone needs to like whoop that boy, amen? Or at least that's what we did in my generation, amen? And so I want to say them, you would say what's wrong with a child feeling good about themselves and having some self-esteem. And I want to say from the study, they said this, not necessarily anything wrong for someone, obviously, to feel good about their self or confidence, but is this high self-esteem based on positive behavior and genuine accomplishments? Or is it just simply based on the fact that you are a part of the human race, and as a part of the human race, you, have, you are demanding and you have obligations then, if you would, to... Uh, to, to receive things and, to, uh, uh, and to, um, <coughs> to, to, to have a good life just because of uh, being part of this human race. And so the Chicago Tribune also did an article on this, and they titled it then, The Downside of High Teen Self-Esteem. And they actually did a report on one who was uh, Laura Rovi, who was smart enough, and they described her this way specifically, to be smart enough to be lazy an honor roll student at Elmhurst, New York, uh, York High School. Uh, she is accustomed then to always getting A's. She carried this forward and this kind of lazy behavior forward into college. In her sophomore year, they were in government class, and in government class, as the story said, she was supposed to do a group assignment together with some other kids. She, again, was always the smartest, and she just automatically got good grades because uh, that was just the pattern that she was accustomed to. So it came then to the final group project, uh, and she decided she'd just check out on it. she just let them do the work on it, and no matter what the product was, obviously they were going to get an A on it because that's what happened to her through elementary school, middle school, high school. Surely that's what's going to happen here now in college. However, when they turned in the project that she didn't help on, they earned, they earned a C. And it was interesting, though, it said, as she was interviewed, and she didn't feel guilty about it. She didn't feel discouraged or saddened that she had messed up in one, some way, but rather she was insulted. She said it was like a slap in the face. I was not used to getting a C or getting a grade like that. And so it said then there's an adjustment to take place. Rather, uh, uh, Jean uh, Twingy of the San Diego University, who did a study, said there's going to be a great shift, a lot of lessons to learn for young people as they go through college and as they go forward in life because we found that so many young people growing up have this, this privilege mentality. We are owed uh, all of these good things in life. And I think that's important for us. There was a, one of the uh, 2020 uh, Democrat candidates for president, Andrew Yang, he put forth a universal basic income. The idea of that is that everybody should get a minimum paycheck. Everyone should be paid 
regardless of what job they did and regardless of if they did any job at all, they just simply should be paid because we are owed it because we're part of the human race. There's so many people that are so rich and so wealthy and we're just simply owed it. Uh, it we're deserving of it. And that mentality, I think, is so harmful during the time as we came into the pandemic in the March, uh, AOC, Ocasio-Cortez, and actually Tulsi Gabbard, both of them became very insistent that we needed to adopt universal um, basic income for everybody to help them through the time of the pandemic when people were staying at home and not working. And the fact that, to me, be honest with you, the fact that people think that that really genuinely is a great idea is somewhat baffling. Partly, I suppose, because of a different age. Partly because we tend to be a little bit more liberal in our thinking when we're younger. And then when you have the responsibilities of life, you start to understand about taking on more personal responsibility. But also at the same time, the Bible gives a principle. And it says that if a man should not work, then neither should he eat. And so God, of course, teaches us about personal responsibility. Now, when we look at this passage, what I want us to understand as we come and look into this passage here uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 is that God gives to us now, I think, an important truth, and that is that God desires for us to learn, not to learn self-esteem per se, but rather to learn self-discipline. As we go forward and as we sit here now this morning, you're in college, maybe as a freshman, maybe as a senior, and as you were here and with today and you're looking forward towards the rest of your life, let me just say to you that God loves you very much and that God loves us more than we deserve and that God is better to us than what we deserve. And God will help us, enable us, and God will show mercy to us and God will do a great work in our life. He will. Uh, and as we pray and as we trust him and uh, seek his face, he'll do that work in our life. But here's what I want to say. As we sit here today, the issue is not about what's owed to me, what privileges am I deserving of, but as we sit here today, the idea of this is uh, not what self-esteem can I learn in my life as I go forward, but rather what self-disciplines can I learn from the Word of God in the Bible and in my classes and as I'm going forward through life, what self-disciplines can I learn? Because those self-disciplines are actually what is going to help me to finish the race, serving God and living for God in the end. And so it's something then that should be desired or purposed for every one of us. God gives to us here life lessons. And these life lessons, as God does, he teaches us so many life lessons from just basic truths of everyday life. Maybe it's planting seeds and uh, throwing seeds into the ground, or <laughs> maybe it's with light or salt, or as Jerusalem was a city on a hill. And so he uses very visual things to help us to understand important spiritual truths. And in here, he gives to us life lessons from two different types of athletes. These athletes that we see is, of course, uh, running a race. It's a runner. And so we see in verse number 24, it says, uh, Know ye that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. And then it says, So run that you may obtain. Then again, in verse number 26, it says, I therefore so run. 
And so the instruction here is, and the truth or the illustration that we're supposed to learn is this illustration as a runner. A runner then that is running a race. That he is uh, in the race and that he is uh, training for that race and he's laboring and training so that he could win the race. Obviously, I think the illustration here would not be the race of a sprint. So when I was in high school, I, again, I wasn't crazy about running. I didn't really uh, like to run. It just seemed to me like too much effort. But I was told we had a smaller school in our public school, and, uh, and someone uh, encouraged me. Actually, I skied on the ski team, and so they told me, uh, the coach there said that you have to also go out for track, and you have to do some certain events. And so one of them was a running event. And so we could do, uh, in the high school, uh, from sprint, you know, uh, a 100-yard dash, and then 200 up to a 5K. Uh, and uh, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And so I was no dummy here, and I said, I'd rather run 100 yards than to run uh, for a 5K or 3.2 miles or whatever it was. And so I said, that's what I want to do. Uh, and so I ran the sprint. Now, I wasn't that good, and I never won anything, but uh, I, I run nonetheless. But what they're talking about here would be more of what we would call a marathon, a marathon race where uh, all of those are lined up and they are running in this long race. In Albuquerque, there is a high elevation, so it's one of the places where uh, runners will actually come to, they'll live there, at least temporarily, and they will train at high altitude training. Uh, so one of the men in our church, Bob Daniel, had the privilege of Sony one day to lead this guy to the Lord who was from Kenya, uh, and, um, and he was a runner, and he was in Albuquerque doing high-altitude training. His wife and their child came to church uh, a few times, uh, but he was there training for that. Now, there's a lot of training that goes in when you want to do uh, especially a marathon race. Uh, I'd looked this up, and it was kind of amazing that the New York City Marathon is one of the largest marathons now in the world, largest in the United States, it often has over 50,000 participants. They put them together in waves based on your skill level. Those that have some opportunity to actually win the race or place are set in a wave and they will go out first and there's other waves that follow after that. But it said that uh, in each of these waves there's so many runners that they line up at the start line and go all the way back. They give you a position. And for each wave as they do the start gun and they start out uh, to begin this race, for the marathon, that those that are in the very back of the line of the wave takes them 10 minutes of running just to get to the start line in order to be able to start the marathon. So this is a long journey. It's a journey that goes over uh, a long period of time. And so God says, I want you to understand that the Christian life is this matter like running, if you would, a marathon and training and preparing uh, in order to do that. God says to us uh, that there's preparations that come to that. And we'll see that. The other one is a boxer. And it tells here about this matter of boxing. It says specifically about one that beateth the air. The idea of that is often in training in verse number 26, what we would call shadow boxing, right? Shadow boxing. So when I was young, uh, sometimes if somebody wanted to fight me, what I'd do is I'd just get up and I'd shadow box some, and it would scare them so much, they usually just run away. And so there wasn't even a fight at all, because I would just scare them off by, you don't believe that, do you? So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the idea then is training and preparation that is done in every one of these. So the Christian life has a test. The test is uh, us living out our life day by day. Uh, we're living in this process of the Christian life. And as we go forward in the Christian life, 
God brings for us lessons along the way and things that he wants us to learn and things that uh, he brings into our path. Some of them are joyous and rejoicing. Some of them are mountain peak types of experiences. But often in this incursed world, many of them are very difficult uh, lessons and things that we have to deal with that are hard and difficult. We've come through a time of, uh, of COVID and um, I believe that for the most part, generally, it's not as serious uh, as a health risk as we would hear just the fear levels that's pumped at us. However, one of the most vulnerable groups of people, interestingly enough, in the whole entire country are Navajo Indians. It has a lot to do with their health and their diet and everything. And so in our church, we have many Navajos and every single Navajo in our church has had at least one family member that has died through this. And so it's been a difficult time and we've had to try to help them and to bear those burdens as they go forward. And so as we run this race of the Christian life, there are so many lessons that God has for us to learn. And so let's look, if we would, and let's drill down just a little bit more, if we would, about learning self-discipline, learning self-discipline. I want to give to you some thoughts, if we would, about this. And that is that the Christian life was never intended by God to be a spectator sport. You heard about uh, kind of the analogy of football, and that is, of course, this was pre-COVID, if you would, but football could be uh, described in this way, and that is uh, 24 men running around on the field, desperately needed a rest, while 70,000 people sit in the stands watching who desperately need exercise. But God does not intend for the Christian life to be a, a spectator sport, but he wants us to participate in this. So let's see real quick, if we would, where it talks about a runner. It says, verse number 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run, and how many of them run? They run all. Now, in the New York City Marathon, over 50,000 participants in a high year, and, and obviously, they're not all going to win. In fact, only one of them is going to win. But the one thing that is for sure is that if you pay the money and if you've trained and if you sign up to be a part of that New York City Marathon, you are, if nothing else, going to get into the race and actually run. And so he tells us there that we are supposed to run all. In verse number 26, the Apostle Paul gives this testimony and he says, I therefore so run. We understand with the running, also with the boxing, and here's a principle that we need to understand, and that is that in the Christian life, God expects for us to get into the game, to get into the game. There are so many churches across our country and around the world that are really dying churches. And really, in many of these churches, if the truth were, if, if, if we were to know the truth or to, to really show forth that truth, that as the pastor is up here giving sometimes some warmed over message in this type of a church, that the people that are sitting out there in the congregation, most of them could have that t-shirt that says, been there, done that, right? It's like ho-hum, heard that before. The preacher can't tell me anything that I haven't heard before. But what's happening is, is that there are many born-again believers, and I'm not doubting all of their salvation, certainly, but what they've done over time, somewhat in a cynical sense, somewhat in a weary sense, they've kind of withdrawn from the battle. They are not actively involved in the Christian life, serving God and going forward for the glory of God. And so as you're here in Bible college, I want you to understand uh, that most of you came here for the right reason, and that is that you believe that God is leading in your life and that God has for you to serve him 
in some way, in some fashion. And that's why you're here. Maybe some of you came because your parents said that you needed to, or you were told that you should do at least one year in Bible college, whatever it is. But here's what I want to say to you and want to challenge you from the Word of God, is that for every one of us, we should accept the challenge from God to say, I am saved, I'm a child of God, I'm going to heaven, and I am going to step into the race of the Christian life. I'm going to be involved, I'm going to be connected, I'm going to be engaged in this thing of the Christian life. When I'm in church, uh, in Bible college, day after day, and then on Sunday, I'm not going to allow myself to become withdrawn or detached, but I'm going to get into the race. I'm going to be connected, and I'm going to uh, take this thing seriously. It's going to be something that is going to be a vital priority in my life, to be growing to the Lord and to serving God. I am going to get into the race. Now, I want to say also some lessons we'd learn from self-discipline first. You'll never be successful if you don't decide and choose specifically, I'm going to get into the race. And I want to say also then that there are some that understand this uh, and that there's going to be a struggle. There will be a struggle in the Christian life. There'll be difficulties that will come. There'll be hardships that will come. I've had people ask me uh, over the years, Parents that might ask me, or young people, God was dealing with their life. And they would say to me, Pastor, is it really necessary for me to go to Bible college? And then they get like super spiritual and they try to compliment me. You know, I've just learned so much from your preaching and I could just learn so much if I just stayed right here. But one of the things amongst others that I've said to them is this. I believe you need to go to Bible college for many reasons, but if nothing else, the struggle of going forward through Bible college will help you to grow as a Christian. The, the struggle financially of needing to balance everything and then to be able to pay your bills and to have uh, an income uh, in order to do your studies uh, and then to, uh, to uh, work a job and then to work within the ministry and just all of the busyness of that and the struggle of that is going to help you to become stronger through that struggle. You'll see in verse number 25 it says, every man that striveth, every man that striveth for the mastery. There's a struggle that takes place here. When you're training for a marathon, it is grueling and hard and you're pushing yourself outside your comfort zone and you are pushing forward for the glory of God. And the Bible says that in the Christian life that we are as an athlete to strive to strive for the mastery to strive so that we can be a growing Christian faithfully serving God now I want to say another lesson that we learn about self-discipline is one just get in the race two there's going to be struggles that you will endure that will help you to grow and I want to say this is so important number three and that is to get back up again to get back up again. It says here in the apostle, Paul says, but I keep under my body. I keep under my body. It's a boxing term that relates to the matter of getting punched or the matter, if you would, of getting knocked down. Uh, and what the apostle Paul says is that what we've got to learn when we get punched or when we get knocked down, that we need to get back up again. Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. So listen, the issue is not how many times do you fall down. The measure of your Christianity is not the least number of times that you fall down. Because certainly difficult times and hardships come even in the life of those who are serving God faithfully difficulties will come in your life. So the measurement here is not 
how many times you fall down, but the measurement is, do you get up after that last time that you just got knocked down? So there's a boxing match, and they're, they're just punching on each other. And I don't think it's very Christian, but I actually like to watch them. But, but um, they're just punching on each other, and they're hitting him, and the sweat's slinging off the guy and everything. And so they punch him, and he knocks down. And so the, the, uh, the, the referee then gets the other guy over to the side, and he comes over, and he starts the count. Now, before the 10 count, he's got to get back up again. But then the other guy comes and knocks him back down, and then he's got to get back up again. And he knocks him down, and he gets back up again. All he's got to do is keep getting back up again, last through that fight or knock that other guy out, but he's got to get back up again. And I want to say in order for that to happen, listen, in order for that to happen, there needs to be some victory over the flesh. And so I want to say, what are some lessons in self-discipline that we can learn? One is to get back into the race. Two is for us to grow through struggles that we have. Three is for us to get back up again. And then four is for us to get victory over the flesh. It tells us in verse number 25, it says, For every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. The Bible teaches us about this fruits of the spirit of temperance. Obviously, we'd understand that it deals with the matter of having some restraint or self-control in our life. To have some self-control the ability to be able to say no to some temptations in our life. But I often illustrate it this way, and I say uh, about uh, the word tempered. So probably most of you had drove, have a car or you drove here. We saw this morning all the kids being driven in for the Christian school. And as you're coming in a car, you have glass in the front of that car. Have you ever been driving down the road and had a car come in the other direction, sling a rock and bounce off your off your glass or window scares you, doesn't it? It just hits and it scares you. Sometimes it'll be big enough to actually break the glass. But whenever that happens, I'm always reminded, thank God that the windshield is tempered glass. In this building this size, it has what you would call red iron beams in it, most of the place where it stands out on the wall. Those red iron beams are what you would call tempered steel. What is the tempered due to the glass? What is the tempered due to the steel? It makes it stronger. And so here's what God's saying to us. The way that we have self-control is to be growing in a strength of Christian character. To be able to say no to temptations because we are serving God and going forward in the Lord's work, doing the Lord's will. And so we need to be able to get victory over sin and victory over temptations in our life. I love what the Apostle Paul says here in verse number 27. He says in verse number 27, for I keep, for I keep under my body. For I keep under my body. In a very simple application of that, I've told our people often, it is my responsibility to put myself where I should be. It is God's responsibility to make me what I should be. I can't make myself a good Christian, but I can put myself in my Bible. I can't make myself a good Christian, but I can put myself in church under the preaching of the Word of God. And so there's a matter here then of this subjection, if you would, uh, this matter of bringing, if you would, under subjection. 
And we need to do that in our life. We need to bring ourselves then under subjection. When it says keep under my body, it relates then to a boxing term. It literally means then to punch someone under the eye, to, to buffet them. The Apostle Paul in chapter, you can just look there as we come to a close here, but look if you would at 2 Corinthians now, 2 Corinthians in chapter number 12, 2 Corinthians in chapter number 12, and then in, in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 12, and then in verse number 7, the Apostle Paul says this, lest I should be exalted in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then in verse number 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations which were given to me, was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And then it says a messenger of Satan to, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That word buffet there deals with the matter of tapping or punching, if you would, to the body. There's a matter specifically of us then very seriously taking <coughs> this Christian life serious and understanding that temptations in the flesh and simply giving in to the desires of the flesh day after day, uh, having um, you know, our uh, alarm clock and just snoozing alarm clock and snoozing alarm clock and snoozing alarm clock. Uh, our youth pastor back years ago uh, went on a trip to a college, a smaller college, but there were three of our guys that were there. And in one of the rooms, there was five other guys there. Uh, and they were just starting out into their freshman year in college and that, and they were all in this room together, and he was sleeping in that room with them. And he said, uh, I never heard such a, uh, <laughs> a, 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 a spray or so much noise uh, of alarms first thing in the morning uh, as I did there. It, all of them, you know, they're going to serve God, we're going to get up at 5 a.m., we're going to read our Bible and pray. And so they'd have their alarm set at 5 or 5.20 or 5.30, and the alarm would go off, and they'd hit and snooze it. The other person's alarm would go off, they'd hit and snooze it. The other person's alarm would go off, they'd hit and snooze it. The other person's alarm would go off, and they would snooze it through all the cycles, and they would get up 10 minutes before class started. They would race and get their clothes off and take off and race over to class. Uh, and um, <clears throat> they were uh, not, they were giving in, if you would, to some of the desires of the flesh and not getting victory in that way. Listen, I think that there is uh, a, a, a move somewhat amongst young preachers today. You see this on social media. And there's a move amongst some young preachers today to, um, uh, to, to make sure that they really are very, very strong in their family life, and they should do that. Uh, to really have hobbies outside of the ministry and really be committed about that and to really give a lot of time to that. Uh, and I realize that the, the danger of what it is they're dealing with, and that is that years ago, in the 70s and the 80s and that, there are many, many a pastor and many a preacher that gave themselves to the ministry in such a way that they neglected their family, that they lost their children, that they, their children uh, just went away from the ministry because they were totally neglectful of their family. And I understand that. But let me just say that for us, we need to be careful not to be a pendulum-swinging Christian. Just because you are running away from something that is wrong does not mean that you are running to something that is right. Rather, to run to something that is biblical has to be very intentional. You intentionally run towards something that is biblical. So should a young man in the ministry love his family and give time and dedication to his family? He absolutely should. 
By the way, one of the many ways that you can give time to your family is to bring them along with you in the ministry. Amen? And you can spend a lot of time with them in doing that. And I believe that that is something that needs to be done. But there's this idea amongst many young people today that they have so many preoccupations and so many passions and so many hobbies that I really don't understand how that they have time for the ministry. And so I want to say then that God wants us to, to keep under our body. He wants us to learn some lessons about self-discipline. We need to get in the race. We need to grow through struggles in the Christian life. We need to get back up when we're knocked down. We need to get victory over the flesh. And this very last thing, I want to put this together, and that is that you need to put yourself on a schedule. Now, I know that this is real practical in this, but I want to say that this is so important, and that is that as a part of this matter of growing in self-discipline, we need to have a schedule for our life for those important things. You'll notice that church has a schedule. You'll notice that the classes here at West Coast Baptist College have a schedule to them. And we need to have a schedule also, a schedule of time when we would read our Bible, a schedule of time when we would pray and have a daily devotion uh, when we get up in the morning. It tells us in verse number 27 that I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. That word subjection there speaks of uh, literally to enslave or to create a master to help to guide our flesh that is tempted by all of these uh, temptations of the world. Uh, and what we need to do is to have a schedule to say, I want to get out by the grace of God at this time. Now, again, that may not happen, but if it doesn't happen once or another, it needs to be purposeful and intentional. Uh, I found that if you go to bed in the evening, intentional to get up at a certain time in the morning, if you pray about it, if you ask God to do that, Heard a preacher say years ago, and it helped me, he said, if you take your alarm clock and if you set it away from the bed so that when it goes off in the morning, you have to get up to go to the alarm clock, then obviously it helps you to be able to get up and get going in the morning. The issue is not what crazy early time that you get up. The issue is, is that it is completely normal for every child of God to be getting victory over the flesh and to be growing in personal personal disciplines in the Christian life. That is the norm. That is what God wants for every child of God. And as we do that, the reward is, is that we will grow in a strength of character that will bring many, many blessings from God down the road if we will learn to keep under our body, if we will learn to put ourselves where we are supposed to be so that God can make us what we are supposed to be. Let's pray if we would all over. Let's ask for God to speak to our hearts. And all over, I hope that it'll be a challenge that you'll take. You have so many positive, positive, amazing examples here uh, in this ministry uh, to encourage you and for you to follow. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to learn disciplines in the Christian life while you're here and see God bless you and open up doors of opportunity as you go forward. 